The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Oh, I'm told my collar is up. Thank you. (laughs) It's especially important to look good for the camera this morning, right? (laughs) Welcome to everybody here this morning, and welcome to everybody not here this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. We are so uh, grateful to have you with us, and uh, for those of you who have chosen to stay at home, we're grateful that you're taking some extra safety and health precautions this morning. So, um, welcome to everyone. And uh, it, uh, there are a couple people who aren't here this morning for reasons unrelated to health, and so I just wanted to give a shout out to those two people who got married yesterday, Caitlin Lee, our worship intern, and Levi Brown got married yesterday. So very, very excited for them. But it is a strange season. It is an interesting time here with this coronavirus and the spread and all that's going around. And so I just want to encourage you all that we as a leadership, as a staff, as the eldership, we are all staying in contact. We are communicating regularly. We're trying to stay up on all the best information that we can find. And we want to pledge to you that we'll be communicating with you as information continues to come in and as this continues to play out and unfold in the weeks to come. Right now, we had Patrick Mead scheduled to come in next Sunday. We've gone ahead and canceled his visit. We're going to reschedule that for later on. Um, He was very, very understanding, which was great. Uh, But we'll let you know as things unfold. We'll keep communicating. And I wanted to just share something that I've been reminded of recently by a wise Christian teacher. And that is this, that if you find yourself fearful, first of all, that's okay. All right? It's okay to be afraid. Right? Jesus in the garden shows us that fear is a natural part of being a human. What problem, when problems emerge is when that fear reaches such a fever pitch of paralysis that we forget Jesus is Lord. Right? It's, it's natural if your child falls in the, the python exhibit at the zoo, feeling fear Being a little anxious about that is a natural human response. It would be inhumane and irrational not to be a little afraid. The problem is when fear takes us to a level where it talks us out of the lordship of Jesus. Jesus is Lord, and he remains Lord, and it's important for us to remember that in these days ahead because, listen, church, this coronavirus is a crisis, and a crisis for us as Christians is an opportunity to serve. A crisis for Christians is an opportunity to live up to the name that we claim in Jesus. And so we need to remember all the more his lordship because there will be opportunities ahead for us to serve those who cannot serve themselves. There will be opportunities for us to give of ourselves and our resources for those who don't have the margin to weather this economically. 
So I want to call us all to remember, even as we might be afraid, to remember the one who is Lord and does tell us do not be afraid and encourages us to remember that he is Lord of our lives and that it's time for us to step up and serve and live up to his name. Amen? Amen. Well, we continue this morning in Gathered by God. And I was just telling Ben earlier this week, it would be a little ironic if we finished our Gathered by God series all scattered from house to house watching online. It's a very real possibility. But for now, many of us are here. Many of us are gathered in homes watching online. And so we're going to continue listening for the word of God this morning in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. We're in verses 1 through 6 and 12 through 18. Then Solomon prayed, O Lord, you have said that you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. Then the king turned around to the entire community of Israel standing before him and gave this blessing. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father David. For he told my father, from the day I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among any of the tribes of Israel as the place where a temple should be built to honor my name. Nor have I chosen a king to lead my people, Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem as the place for my name to be honored. And I have chosen David to be king over my people, Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel, and he lifted his hands in prayer. Now Solomon had made a bronze platform, seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet high, and had placed it at the center of the temple's outer courtyard. He stood on the platform, and then he knelt in front of the entire community of Israel and lifted his hands toward heaven. He prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven and earth. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. You made that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands. You have fulfilled it today. And now, O Lord, God of Israel, Carry out the additional promise you made to your servant David, my father. For you said to him, if your descendants guard their behavior and faithfully follow my law as you have done, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Now, O Lord, God of Israel, fulfill this promise to your servant David. But will God really live on earth among people? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Let's pray. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you. And we lift up your name and we praise you for that covenant of love that you have established with your people. We give thanks to you, Lord. Quiet our restless hearts. Still us. Help us to find peace in the shadow of your wings. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus. 
And God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to illuminate this word. I ask you, Lord, for the gift of preaching this morning. And we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. From the day I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among any of the tribes of Israel as the place where a temple should be built to honor my name. Nor have I chosen a king to lead my people, Israel, but now I have chosen Jerusalem as the place for my name to be honored, and I have chosen David to be king over my people, Israel. God chose Israel. God chose Jerusalem. God chose David, although David didn't get to build the temple. That was left for Solomon, his son. But God chose the people of Israel, covenanted himself to them. And we find ourselves here this morning in Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 6, where these people have now built a temple for God to dwell in. Over the past couple weeks, we've seen in Ben's sermon, God call Abram. We've seen God last week gather his people at Sinai, Exodus 19, to make them a holy nation, a royal kingdom of priests, and a treasured possession. And now this morning, we see that Israel is in the promised land. Israel has made it to this place. They've made it to the city of Jerusalem now. And it's significant for us to notice something, that God called a people before they had a land. God called Abram and brought together and formed a nation before they had a permanent place to be, to live. And that's, that's significant. That's important because that's not usually the way that ancient peoples exist, right? Ancient peoples don't normally have a memory of coming into their land, right? Ancient peoples typically sort of were birthed on their land along with their language and their culture. And there's no memory of coming into the land because the land is where they came up as a people with a history and a memory, It's different for Israel, though. Israel had an existence before the land. Ancient peoples lived within a certain set of borders, and this was their place. This is where they came up with their language, and it's the same with the divine, right? Gods, lowercase g, polytheistic gods, were connected to a specific tract of land to a piece of terrain, and they had their borders that they were sovereign over, and if you lived in this land, you worshiped this lowercase g god, and if you moved over to this tract of land, well, you you stopped worshiping that one, and you worshiped this one. Because it would make just as much sense to worship the god from that land while I'm in this land as it would to abide by the laws of Paris while I'm living in New York. It's a different set of rules. It's a different jurisdiction. Land is important to people. And land is important to Israel. But Israel is a people who remember coming into the land. Israel is a people who God has formed before they have 
an actual place to stay and live. Remember, God called Abram not to stay in his native land, but to leave it. When God elects Israel, when he chooses them, he actually calls Abram to become a foreigner, a wanderer, a nomad. Israel has a unique relationship to the land because they have a unique relationship to God. God chose Israel. And here they are, finally in the land, in 2 Chronicles 6, in the city that God has chosen, Jerusalem, with a built and completed temple. And I want to pause here this morning for just a moment because it's important for us to remember that we are gathered by the God of Israel. The God we worship here at 21477 Northwestern Avenue is the God of Israel, is the God of the Jews, right? And we cannot separate ourselves from that. Because of Jesus Christ, we get to be grafted into God's chosen people. Right? God chose Israel and Jerusalem. And that is the God we believe who has gathered us to worship him as well. And for all of Christian history, we've been tempted by this idea of cutting ourselves off from the Jews. Right? And we've talked about this before, dating all the way back to Marcion in the second century who said, no, we're not going to have the Old Testament. That's not a part of our Bibles. We don't worship Yahweh. This has been a temptation, but Christians have said, no, that's, that's heresy. That's false. It is the God of Israel who we believe has revealed himself in Jesus. But when we forget that Jesus was a Jew... Christians get drawn into all sorts of hateful and violent actions. We don't worship some abstract, absolute God that can just be reasoned to in some arbitrary philosophical system. We worship the God of Israel who we believe has gathered us and grafted us into his people through Christ. And it's that God, the God who transcends the land, that now has chosen to dwell, in some sense, in the temple in Jerusalem. What's significant about Abraham's God is that he's not confined to one set of borders, right? He calls Abraham out of these borders to this land because this God is sovereign over all. This God transcends the whole world. And yet, he's also committed himself to the Jerusalem temple. And it's this temple that Solomon is dedicating. In verses 12 through 14, it continues. It says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel, and he lifted his hands in prayer. Now Solomon made a bronze platform seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high, and had placed it at the center of the temple's outer courtyard. He stood on the platform, and then he knelt in front of the entire community of Israel and lifted his hands toward heaven. 
He prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven and earth. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. Over a decade ago, I got to go see James Taylor in concert with my parents, actually, up in Sioux Falls, where I'm from. And it was a fantastic show. James Taylor is probably the first singer-songwriter I ever really fell in love with. Just an amazing musician and an amazing show, really. But actually, the most memorable part of this James Taylor concert was intermission. Strangely enough, the part where he wasn't playing, because as he finished the first set and he had kind of a big band with them and he was like, all right, we're going to intermission and the band quickly left the stage. But before James Taylor could hightail it to his dressing room for some much needed rejuvenation, he was already an old guy about 10 years ago. <laughs> Everybody's doing the math. Am I older than James Taylor? <laughs> Before he could get to his dressing room, he actually, a crowd kind of started to form in front of the stage asking for autographs. And I'll never forget James Taylor kneeling down and beginning to sign autograph after autograph after autograph. And I was actually able to make my way down to the lower levels and come all the way up through the crowd and get James Taylor to autograph my CD but it was just this incredible image, really, that stuck with me of James Taylor, the guy we were all there to see, kneeling in humility for probably 90% of the intermission. He finally went back to his dressing room for a couple minutes, came out, played an amazing second half of the show. But that image of humility always stuck with me. And it's this image that we get from Solomon here in verse 13. Solomon, the king of Israel, the head honcho, the guy leading everything. And Solomon kneels before God in front of all the people and lifts his hands to heaven. And he prays and worships on their behalf. And Solomon does this because in worship, we learn the posture of God's people. Worship is where we learn the shape of life before God for the sake of the world. It is in worship that we learn the actions that Christians are supposed to take outside of these walls. Right? It's not that this one hour on Sunday morning is the most important hour of every Christian's week, always. It is important. But serving the hungry, the sick, the poor, following Jesus outside in our daily lives is just as important. It's not that this is more important, this hour on Sunday mornings. Here's the deal. This is the hour, this is the place in worship we learn the posture of life before God that we take outside the walls. Right? It's here that we learn to break bread with one another, to be reconciled to somebody, even if we're not ready to be reconciled to them. It's here that we learn to sing and hymn and think and speak in the language of the kingdom. And it's here that we learn the posture of humility before the Lord God of Israel revealed to us in Jesus Christ. 
It's here that we learn the posture of life before God. This is the, the place where we pattern our lives on this moment of worship. And this includes kneeling. This includes kneeling, which we don't really do here at the Springs all that often. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've kneeled in private in prayer, maybe at a different church. But really, I think to our detriment, we don't really do much kneeling here at the Springs. But it's an important posture because it's a posture taught to us not just by Solomon, but by Jesus himself. In Luke 22, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. He's about to be betrayed, arrested, tried, tortured, crucified. And in verse 41 and 42, it says, Then he withdrew from the disciples about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. We learn to bend our will to God by bending our knee to God. It's in worship that we learn the posture of servant humility before the God whose will we conform to. We learn to bend our will to God. We learn to be in solidarity with one another in our humility by bending our knee. As Joseph Ratzinger writes about Jesus here in Luke 22, he says, Jesus assumes the fall of man, lets himself fall into man's fallenness, prays to the Father out of the lowest depths of human dereliction and anguish. Jesus knows our fear. He knows our brokenness. He knows our humility before a holy God. And he teaches us to conform our will to his in worship. And it's this God, this God who has chosen Israel, who's not confined to one piece of land, but it's this God who has stooped to dwell in some way in the temple. And Solomon continues this dedication in verse 18. He says, but will God really live on earth among people? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. And we talked about this kind of tension months ago, this tension between God's imminence and God's transcendence. Right? God's being near to us. God pervading all things, God being closer to myself than I am to myself. God's imminence, and yet God's transcendence. God being beyond, above, other, infinite. We talked about this tension, and this tension is present here in Second Chronicles. Israel knows that the God who can't be confined to a single tract of land can't be confined to one single building either. And yet, the transcendent God has chosen to stoop in humility to let his glory dwell there. To dwell in some way with this special chosen people in this special chosen city, in this special chosen place, the temple. 
And it's on this that we agree with our Jewish brothers and sisters that God has chosen to dwell in some way in that temple. And yet, where we disagree is that God also, we believe, has chosen to tabernacle among us in Jesus Christ. That Jesus, the word, became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. That God has chosen not simply to dwell just in Israel, but to dwell in a single Israelite. That God is with humanity through the people of Israel and with humanity through a single human in Israel, Jesus of Nazareth. This God that dwells, that tabernacles, that stoops down to be among us, to know our pain, to know our fear, and yet to overcome, and yet to show us the posture of life before him. Ben and I end every single sermon here with the words, let's stand and sing. This morning, I want to end not with the words, let's stand and sing. I actually want to end with the words, let's kneel and sing. And I want to invite all of us who are physically able. If you're not physically able, please don't try. Please be comfortable sitting, standing, however you are. But if you're physically able... I want to invite us this morning together as the body of Christ to bend our knees before God, to bend our knees with one another, to bend our knees on behalf of the world, on behalf of those who couldn't be in this room to worship here. Because we worship, church, on behalf of the world. And we worship in order to learn that posture of humility before God and in order to teach that posture of humility to others. Now, if you're here this morning and you think, Brett, I don't need any help getting on my knees. I'm already down there. I'm lower than low. I'm in the depths of despair. I don't need any help getting down there. To you, I say, this is not the solidifying of your lowliness. This is our solidarity of love together. This is all of us coming down together to say that you don't suffer alone and you're not gonna have to walk this path alone, that we will jump down in the pit with you. That's the posture that we learn from Jesus Christ, the incarnate one who took on the form of a servant who bent his knees to the earth to save us, to reveal the God of Israel in all his fullness and glory and truth. So church, right now, let's kneel and sing and praise Jesus Christ.